everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Marlin's Corner. I am Marlin. So glad to have you here. Marlin's Corner, the podcast that gives you reviews in under 30 minutes, and we got two for you today. We'll be talking about human resources and is it cake? One of those shows is rather interesting and the other one is not. And they are in that order. So that's the spoiler right there. But let's talk about the review for Human Resources. Now, Human Resources is Nick Kroll's spinoff of, of, you know, it's his, his show. He did Big Mouth and I has a spinoff about just the emotional monsters, and a few humans here and there. But we were introduced to the hormone monster and these subsequent monsters in Big Mouth, and now we're focused on kind of how they live, what's their day-to-day, and we get to meet a few newer uh, creatures in the mix, you know, from your hormone monsters to your addiction angels. And this show has a ridiculous cast, uh, like a ton of A-listers here. You got Helen Mirren, Lupita Nyong'o, Fandi Newton, Ali Wong, Rosie Perez, Hugh Jackman, Henry Winkler, and that's just to name a few because there are there are more, y'all. And quite honestly, I'm surprised he even got Hugh Jackman. When I first heard his voice, I had to convince myself to check because I was like, that's just a Hugh Jackman impersonator that can't be Hugh Jackman. Uh, It's Hugh Jackman. He's in a few episodes and his lines of dialogue are very interesting. Now with the show Big Mouth, the focus, of course, is given away and the show's title. Uh, I'm going through changes. You know, we Talk about these kids as they're going through life's changes, you know, they're going through periods and boners. Uh, And we also see them go through learning about themselves as their family goes through divorces, um, the sexual spectrum, and even code switching. There's a lot that they discover and discuss in Big Mouth around these young characters. And with human resources, there definitely is a struggle for what the focus is. Now, we know that the focus audience is you know, they're, I guess they're trying to do maybe an older audience. Um, and they even kind of age up a lot of the humans we meet. You know, we focus on a college freshman and, you know, some adults and their elder parents. And so with that in the focus, we are in kind of a push and pull past episode one. We see them want to establish our knowledge of the creature slash monster realm. But then we also are introduced to some human characters uh, and they're, you know, they're going back and forth. There definitely is this desire to kind of have a duality of like how there's similarities in both worlds. Um, But with that kind of split focus, it definitely is going to, you know, kind of confuse folks. And it's also going to result in, I think, folks, uh, not really grooving with it right away. If you're someone that has like a three episode limit before you decide to commit to something, it probably isn't going to pass that three episode test. Um, There definitely are some storylines that are better than most, but it does take some time to even get there. And there is a particular storyline that I think does stand out and it does happen further in, um, but it's a storyline that I feel like feels a bit different from the rest of the show. There are great tie-ins to the storyline on both sides, 
But the topic itself and the way it's handled are just I just feel like if you if, if the show was more aligned to that episode, I think people might have gravitated more to it sooner. Um, so this is going to be a spoiler moving forward. But uh, we meet an elderly woman early on and we you know are informed that she's going through dementia. Uh, and it's a particularly hard episode because as she's going through dementia, we see that she is living in these flashbacks with her emotional creature, um, her love bug. And her love bug is taking her through these dementia flashbacks in order to quell her anxiety for feeling old um, and for being in unfamiliar spaces. So he takes her down these flashbacks. And the result outwardly is that, you know, she calls people the wrong name. She doesn't know where she is a lot of the time. And it's just, it was really particularly difficult to kind of watch this one because you, if you have someone who has dementia, you can kind of see that there are, uh, there's, there's an understanding that comes with this topic and the understanding of not showing off this elderly woman in a negative light of like, oh, she's confused and it's funny. It's like, no, she's confused and here's what she's seeing and here's why she's confused and here's what this confusion means for her. And as she goes through having these anxiety attacks, whenever she comes out of her dementia dreams, it really grounds you in this emotional uh, saga of like, I, you know, you feel for this character. You want her to feel better. You want her to feel comforted. And so when her son does arrive and, you know, finds ways to connect in the present pieces of her past, you see that she's able to come to the present and connect in the present and you feel good watching it. And then we see her later in another episode, we cover something even harder. We follow her going through death. And in this particular episode, what they do really well, again, is the focus of her inner dialogue and her outer dialogue and the folks that kind of are present for it. Um, we see that her son wants to do everything he can to keep his mother alive. He wants to have her closer to home, wants to give her the best, healthiest food, wants to take her out. Like he really wants to be, you know, that ideal son. He's like, I'm going to take care of you and we're going to keep you around. Like you're, you're, you're going to be okay. And then from this woman's perspective, she is coming to terms with like, I am dying. Like I know I'm dying and it's happening. And how do I communicate this message to my son that it's okay? And then from her love bug perspective, he is in this moment uh, of just like high um, um, emotional uh, context. He's able to tap into the son's needs and her needs and is trying to join them together uh, in this love that they share. And ultimately, when we do watch her transition through life to death, they do it in this very amazing way. The love bug tries to take her back to some of the memories that she enjoyed. And as he does, over time, those memories start to uh, dissolve at the edges and fade away. And he takes her to an another memory. And it keeps happening. And it keeps taking her through these memories until they're in the present. And he's no longer able to uh, take her on this memory trip. And this woman tells her love bug that, hey, I, you know, we've led an amazing life together and I think it's time for me to go. And you watch this, these characters say goodbye to this woman and then you 
for about three minutes or so, watch her in this bed for three minutes as her family all say goodbye to her. And this kind of quiet scene where everyone just sits by, they're crying and they're acknowledging her. And the camera just holds on that scene. And this, like the emotional weight of the situation just sits with you. And it just feels so different from the rest of the show because the rest of the show is definitely about like, you know, sex and jizz and stuff. And maybe it makes it easier to like, you know, swallow, you know, no pun intended, of, uh, you know, this particular content of like, oh, this is a really emotional moment. We're going to, you know, bookend it with like slapstick, raunchy comedy so it goes down easier. And I think that, you know, if they lean into telling more stories that have more human connections to them, I think we'll see a pretty robust season two. I know that season one of Big Mouth definitely was good, but it didn't land as hard as season two did. So this will be interesting to see how they choose to, if they do have a season two, how they choose to re-navigate the ship moving forward for season two. Uh, all in all, it's an interesting show. It's 10 20 minute episodes. Um, it's overall a seven out of 10 series, but the episodes that focus on this woman and the other episode that focus on postpartum oppression, I think, are a lot higher, an eight or a nine, because you are given these emotional moments that connect to you, especially if they can, like, if they're moments that you have lived or you know someone has lived and you've been there for them before. There are episodes that are really going to tap into that. So, that being said, give it a watch, seven out of 10. It's not bad. You know, I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, next up we have Is It Cake? Uh, is It Cake is a complete pass. It's, uh, it's a pass. It is a pretty, pretty bad show. Uh, it's not great. Uh, <laughs> I'm giving you all the things, all the synonyms. Yeah, uh, I love Mikey Day uh, on SNL. I think he's really funny. He has great scenes, great chemistry. But this show is just... It feels half-baked, no pun intended. It just feels like someone had an idea and that, and the idea just went to script and then went to being shot. And there was no one there to kind of like say, hey, but what if we did this a different way? The whole show is about these bakers who come on and they make cakes that look like other things. And then that's the show. And then someone comes on and they look at their cake and they vote on if their cake looks like, I mean, of course, there's other objects around that cake and they're trying to see their object could blend in with the cake in order for them to say, hey, like, is that cake? No. Oh, no, I got it wrong. But that's pretty much the entire show. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's a, it, it, yeah, it's just, it's confusing. It's bad. I mean, and there is, and there are other shows on Netflix that are about baking. And I think what makes those shows interesting is that it includes a comedian uh, host and a chef host who maybe bring on a third comedian or a third comedian slash chef. They, it's a group of people who are there to balance what the show is and like there are stages and like the host at least can give you feedback on like what works best what doesn't work best and it just feels really weird that mikey day as a host is a solo host and he doesn't know anything about baking um so he's just kind of like i'm gonna make jokes the entire time and the jokes feel forced because they're trying to fill screen time as these people are making these cakes and it just it feels like there wasn't a lot of direction about how to go about making this a successful show. And it's just a bad, bad show. 
And honestly, let's be real, like there was definitely a point in time in the quarantine where we were all really into, oh, is that a cake or is that uh, a box of cereal? Oh, it's a cake. There definitely was a point in time where that was super cool. But I feel like now it's like, great, we've seen enough of those TikTok videos. Uh, that moment has passed. This is a show for a trend that is no longer trending. And I feel like they missed they, they missed the ship on this one. It, it, it no longer is relevant. And I'm surprised uh, Netflix gave it the green light. Um, I mean, again, Netflix wants to put anything on the board. So it kind of makes sense. Yo, I'm someone like I... I'm the trash panda. I don't mind digging through trash to find, oh, that was terrible, but it was at least enjoyable moments. Uh, and this show, I, I I found no good nuggets. You know, they have celebrity guests and stuff. Karama was on it, but like, it just really, it just feels like it's a, it's a half-baked idea. Like someone was in a room and they were trying to think of like shows and someone decided like, what if we do a thing about, is it cake? And then there was just great. We're just doing that. Write me 10 episodes. Let's just go do it right now. Uh, it's bad. And I think it's going to just disappear on Netflix, uh, and never come back. Uh, and that honestly, that's probably for the best the end of the day. And lastly, folks, if you don't know, and I'm sure you probably do know Will Smith. Yeah, he uh, he smacked the taste out of Chris Rock's mouth, y'all. And before I dive any further into that, just know that I think, this is my opinion, that making fun of Jada's illness, it definitely wasn't cool. And that's coming from, you know, a regular person who has known that, you know, from her sharing that this has been an emotional toil for her. And, you know, she's going through a lot dealing with this. And... I can understand that, you know, this would cause someone to get emotional and want to respond despite, you know, the judgment that was handled and the way that was handled it. You know, again, she's going through a lot and, you know, she was roasted about something that was deeply personal to her in front of an audience, in front of the world, and everyone kind of was laughing at her. And I get the desire to send a message to the one that made the joke that that's not okay. I understand that. And I also know that as someone who was really big into roasting my friends and others in high school, that you really got to be careful what you say to some people sometimes, you know, it could be all fun and games and you could be talking about somebody's clothes or somebody's chain. And the next thing you know, someone's standing up and they're in your face and you got a problem on your hands. You know, I, myself, I have had to walk back a few roasts uh, in order to diffuse a situation or two. So you definitely got to know who your audience is and you got to know where that line is, you know, cause you know, I'm a, I'm a regular person and you know, it's, it's, it's not that hard to smack somebody, you know, and if someone's but if someone gets up and wants to smack you in the face, you've got to know that you you may have done or said something that has crossed the line or two. And that being said, I also know that as a black man in public, there are a lot of things that I need to be careful of. In particular, you know, my emotional state. I know that I cannot raise my voice if I am frustrated or angry at something. I know that in public I cannot contort my face or have aggressive body language in public or in the workspace, because that's a very quick way to get the police called on you. You know, I know that just as a regular person, and I know that, you know, as a black person, uh, that's just something that we just know great. When, when you're in public, you try not to respond in a way to get eyes on you. So when I saw Will slap Chris, you know, 
what went through my mind was an anger in that moment. What went through my mind was concern. Concern because, again, Chris Rock's comments were asinine and they were worth chastisement. But Will's choice to get physical has now placed him directly in the eye of scrutiny. And I know the argument is that we shouldn't, you know, we as people of color, as black people, shouldn't have to worry about how we look in public. And I get that. But we also have to understand that this is basically the equivalent of like a work gala or work event where you're, you're, you're at the work event, someone says something smart and you smack them and you're still technically at work, you know? And I know that most likely he won't have to give up his Oscar, but I do know that the Academy is going to hold him accountable in some other way, you know? And the Academy isn't the best at making decisions. You know, they're, they're not innocent in this. They're not like impartial. They definitely have allowed a lot of things to fly by, you know, and they've always had to their benefit, plausible deniability. Like we didn't know this was going on. We didn't know this happened. You know, a lot of things have happened that have been out of their purview. So they didn't have to deal with it. I mean, even the, uh, the moment at the Oscars where I think John Wayne wanted to go and confront a first nation woman speaking, he at least was grabbed before it got to that point. Um, and in this situation, not only were there no security to prevent it, but there was cameras and everyone saw it, and everyone heard it. And they're even saying now that at some point someone asked Will to leave and he didn't leave. And so you absolutely know that with the pressure from the outside, they are going to give him a harsh consequence. And that's what ultimately sucks. You know, they could ban him from the academies, uh, from membership for a few years, which is going to affect his higher ability. You know, it could affect what directors reach out to him for projects, um, particularly if they because, you know, we know that for folks making these big movies, they tend to try to make them in time for Oscar season to get that Oscar nod or get that award nod. And the question now comes like if they do inflict these ban on him is that does that mean that folks who are trying to go out and make these bigger films are going to overlook him in order to like still get there for award season you know we also know that there are other celebrities who are voicing their displeasure as well and they also have tie-ins to other producers and other directors and ultimately this puts him directly in the center of a shitstorm and that ultimately sucks you know it sucks because all in all the slap he gave to chris rock is doing far less damage to chris rock in the long run it's doing far more damage to will you know chris rock in the long term has a comedy show that as of recording on wednesday i sold out all of his comedy tours sold out. Everyone wants to, to see what he's going to say. Like, he's coming out on top. The Oscars coming out on top because they got a huge bump. After the slap was trending on Twitter, people tuned in to figure out what was going on. It's now live on Hulu, and people are replaying that over and over again to figure out what led up to it and what happened after it. There are people who are coming out of this uh, with positives, and the Smiths are receiving all the negatives. You now have people on talk shows and people on the news who are voicing their disappointment in Will, who are voicing their disappointment in Jada. And now they have to uh, put, out their, put out their PR team to put out these fires, whereas everyone else is now come out of this unscathed and it sucks because had you know had that moment gone differently had will decided like, you know what that's messed up and i'm gonna call him out when i get up there and we're gonna run like a press media junket to like get him and the academy to apologize had it been handled that way then 
there might have been more accountability on Chris Rock's side. But because it was handled this way, now all the blame, all the shame is on the Smiths. You know, and everyone's looking at the whole situation as a big unfortunate event because now everyone's looking at the whole situation as an unfortunate event because following this incident, you have all these first Oscar wins. You have Quest Love winning an Oscar. You have Jessica Chastain. You have um, Wet Side Story. You have so many people who are winning their first time Oscars after the slap. And now... It's the slap is overshadowing all of that because the slap is like the biggest news out there current. Not only is the attention shifting from Chris Rock's joke, but now the attention is focused on every other time Will and Jada have been quote unquote toxic in order to further the opinion that they, for some point or another, had this coming or they've always been bad. And that sucks because everyone can agree that that was wrong. That moment was wrong with what Chris Rock said. And I think, again, emotion definitely got the better of him. And it sucks that it did because now here we are where people who are split down the middle or down the side and everyone's trying to, you know, everyone's arguing on the internet. There's so many op-ed pieces about it. And it just sucks because, you know, Will has done a lot in the public eye to support people, support his family. And it sucks that here we are now where there are people who are bad-mouthing Will Smith and saying, you know, he's he's like a simp. Uh, he let his wife run him and now he's getting messed up. So it's just disappointing to see all this attention uh, being turned to the negative for him. And I hope that eventually, you know, something positive comes out of this. I don't know what could come out of this that's positive, but we'll see moving forward. It's truly sad. And I do want to say congrats to everyone that won, especially Quest and Love. Soul was fantastic. I'm glad he won. You deserve that win, especially also to Sam Jackson for getting his first Oscar. Big shout out to you. Um, so yeah, this would be the last time I'm talking about this because we've been past it, but, but damn, yeah, this was uh, definitely a hard one to watch. And yeah, I'm saying my best to everyone involved. And yeah, that's what we got today on the docket. That's what we got on Marlon's Corner. I appreciate you for joining me in this, for being here with me in this. You have an amazing weekend and we'll catch you next time where another review waits for you back here in the corner on Marlon's Corner. Bye. This episode of Marlon's Corner was produced in Richmond, California. 